This is not going to be a fun episode. In fact, I've been putting off making this episode pretty much since the podcast began, but not wanting to talk about it is part of the reason that it exists. So this episode is about child abuse. We're going to talk about some of the risk factors, the reasons that some kids are at higher risk for child abuse than others. We're going to talk about recognizing the signs and symptoms of child abuse, and we're going to talk about responding, what we need to do when we recognize some of those symptoms. And by the end of the episode, hopefully you will be better equipped to help stop child abuse by recognizing and responding to it appropriately. My name is Michael Collins. This is the Maximize Youth Ministry Podcast. The show exists to help you gain skill and confidence in youth ministry. And I doubt you're going to love the show today because like I said, it's uncomfortable, especially for those of us who love kids and working with kids and ministering to kids, which is probably you if you're listening to this. But this is something that needs to be addressed. So this is going to be our first two-parter episode. Next week, we're going to talk about preventing child abuse through some of the policies and hiring procedures that we can put in place in our youth ministry. But for now, let's start by, let's get started just with some statistics. One in seven children experience abuse of some sort, which means that over your career in youth ministry, it is very, very likely that you're going to have some kids in your ministry that are being abused in some way. And the better we are at recognizing and responding to that, the more we're going to be able to help them. There are a lot of different risk factors when it comes to child abuse, things that make some kids more likely to be abused than others. And I'm not going to go over all of them in this episode because it would take way too long. I'm trying to keep this short. I'm already splitting it into two different episodes, but I highly, highly recommend that you go take a training online or have some people come out to your youth ministry and train all of your staff. There are companies that do it for free. The state does it for free. It's not going to cost you anything but a couple hours of your time, and it could save a kid's life. So I highly recommend you do that. But here are some of the risk factors that maybe are not so obvious, at least they weren't obvious to me at the start. First, a step-parent. If a child has a step-parent in their life, or maybe their, their mother or father has a live-in boyfriend or girlfriend, they are, I think it's 10 times more likely to be abused. 10 times. That's insane. And I, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be the step-parent either. It's just that kids living in that kind of situation, their lives are going to be set up in a way that it's easier for them to be abused. So I don't want you to automatically think of any child that has a stepdad and assume that the stepdad is abusing their child. No, there are some fantastic stepparents out there. Sometimes it is the stepparent, but it doesn't, this statistic isn't intended to make you think that, oh, if there's a stepparent, then that parent is abusing the child. No, it's just that children that have a stepparent in their life are living a life that is more chaotic. They're probably moving from house to house. They maybe have some step-siblings, and they're in a position that makes them a more vulnerable target to child abusers, and because of that, they're much more likely to be abused. Also, along the same kind of line or same reasoning, kids that have been adopted. Adopted kids are more likely to be abused and more likely to have experienced abuse and have some sort of trauma that needs to be dealt with as well, which child trauma 
needs to have its own series, or honestly, its own podcast. I'm sure there is a child trauma podcast out there. But the last risk factor I want to mention is just a low-income home. Kids from poverty are more likely to experience abuse in some way. They're left alone more, um, which opens up the door for child abusers to take advantage of them. Like I said, none of these things are fun to talk about or think about, but those are some of the risk factors that are involved with child abuse. Now, let's talk about recognizing child abuse, some of the signs and symptoms. And again, I'm not going to list all of the signs and symptoms. Please go take an online training, have somebody come out, at least do some research on your own. But here are a few of the ones that I want to highlight. One is genital pain. Any kind of signs of an STD or discomfort in the genitals or anal area can be a sign of child abuse. Uncommon sexual knowledge or sexual behavior from a child that's too young. There shouldn't really have any knowledge of sex or be behaving in any sort of sexual way towards other people. That can be a sign of child abuse. Unexplained injuries of any sort, especially burn marks or bruises. Definitely, you want to look at the shape of the bruise. Is it shaped like a hand or a belt? Can you see an outline? Does it look like you've been hit with something? Small cigarette burns are a common one. Burns from a stovetop. You always want to look at the shape of the injury and, and get as much information from that as possible while also talking to the child or teen about it. Injuries that didn't heal correctly. When I was a kid, I met somebody once, another kid probably the same age as me. His forearm was kind of in a U shape. It was warped. His hand still worked correctly by the grace of God, but his arm was clearly misshapen. And being a kid, I had no idea of, of the fact that this was probably incredibly rude, but I just asked him, what's wrong with your arm? What happened? And he told me that he broke it playing baseball and it just healed like that. So his parents had never taken him to the hospital to get a cast or anything like that. So injuries that maybe are not healing or have healed incorrectly, or you can see it are not being taken care of, that can be another sign of child abuse. And then now we're going to get in some that maybe you haven't thought about. Um, like an uncommon fear or flinching. If you go to like pat a kid on the back or something and they flinch away from you or they just show they're scared of being touched in any way, that can be a sign. Even just a fear of the dark. Now, most if you work with young kids, especially most of them are going to be afraid of the dark in some capacity, but a uncommon fear um, of something, of, of being in the dark, of going to bed, of going to the bathroom, something that they're scared of and they don't really have a reason for it, at least not one that they're willing to tell you about, but they're just showing signs of panic when they shouldn't be. That can be a sign of abuse or at least trauma of some sort. Saying that they don't like a certain person or a certain place, they don't like going home, they don't, they're scared of somebody, they don't want to be around this person, especially if it's an adult and they don't have a good reason. Poor hygiene. If they don't seem to be clean or take a shower on a regular basis, or they don't know how to take care of themselves, which is another sign, maybe they're, if they're underdeveloped or they're lacking knowledge about certain things or in a certain area that they really should understand at their age. Really anything that shows them, shows that something is, is not normal, something's not right here. They're, if it's unexplained, 
unexplained injuries, unexplained knowledge or lack of knowledge, unexplained anything that sticks out to you, you want to make a note of. And when we notice these things, when we have a child or a teen who has some sort of issue, we don't want to just assume anything immediately. Uh, the first step is definitely going to be to talk to the child about it. And it can, we have to be gentle when we're talking to them because they, they might not want to talk about it. So we have to be very specific and particular about our questions, how we ask them. We don't want to make a big deal about it. We just want to casually try to ask them questions like, you know, what happens when you do something your parents don't like? Or what happens at your house when people get angry? Or are you afraid of anyone? What happens when you take a bath? Where do you sleep? What happens when you go to sleep? Has anybody ever touched you in a way that you didn't like? You know, all these questions are great for kids. If you've got a teen in your ministry that you're worried about, you need to be maybe a little bit, it's going to be a little harder, probably, because they're going to be old enough to be aware of the fact that this isn't right, I'm being abused, and they're still choosing not to speak about it for some reason, which means maybe extreme fear or extreme shame, but whatever it is, they're not going to want to tell you about it. So we want to frame the question correctly. So you can say something like, I don't know if this is a concern for you, but many teens I see are dealing with violence or bullying issues, so I've started asking questions about this routinely, like setting up, this isn't a big deal, I, I'm not just, you know, singling you out, I just kind of, anytime I notice something like this, I want to ask about it, and then you can ask them, you know, how, did you get in a fight, what, what's that bruise from? And this, these questions that I'm reading to you are from Stanford's website, Stanford College of Medicine, childabuse.stanford.edu has all of this information. So I highly recommend you go check that out. But frame the question, ask indirectly at first, ask them how their parents are getting along, how disagreements get settled in their family. And then if you aren't getting anywhere and you still are suspecting something's going on, don't be afraid to ask directly. A lot of times, like I said, if there's extreme shame or guilt or fear, they won't give you an answer, but you still should ask. And maybe they're just waiting for somebody to ask directly. Just ask them, are, you, are your parents hitting you? Is anything happening? Is anybody messing with you? You know, and hopefully if they are, if they, it is happening, they'll be able to tell you. But regardless, if we suspect child abuse, we need to say something. We have to report it. Not reporting it is just going to allow it to continue to happen. And we'll talk more about reporting in the next episode, but a couple things I want to mention about it. There's always going to be a phone number you can call. Make sure you have that. Put it as a contact in your phone so you've got it if you ever need it. I have called social services before. It's not bad. It can be scary if you've never done it, but it's very easy. They, You just call them, you tell them everything that you know, and then they'll call you back if they need any more information. And it's, it is then officially off of your plate and it's somebody else's responsibility. And a lot of people will think, well, I don't know for sure if they're being abused. I don't want to call if I don't know for sure. But the thing is, it is not your job to know with certainty whether or not a child is being abused. There are people who are hired by the state 
to investigate and figure out with certainty whether or not a child is being abused. Your job is to report anything that makes you suspicious that a child may be being abused. Now, that's going to be different for different people. Some of you are going to suspect it more quickly than others will. And I can't tell you exactly how many signs and symptoms you need to see before you decide to make a call. That is a decision that you have to make because every situation is going to be different. But if you suspect it, you must say something. If you don't say something and it it is revealed later on that you knew or suspected something was going on and didn't say anything to anybody, then you are responsible for that. It could shut down your entire ministry. And worst of all, you're going to allow this child to continue to be abused for longer than they needed to. So if you suspect child abuse of any kind, just make the phone call. Let somebody else who's been trained to investigate this kind of thing professionally Let them be the one to determine whether or not further action needs to be taken. But don't be afraid to make the call. That's how we put a stop to this. So make sure you tune in next week as we talk about kind of the psychological profile of somebody who abuses children and some of the policies that we can put in place to make sure that these people don't end up in our ministry. And if they were to fly under the radar they wouldn't be able to successfully abuse any children at our youth ministry. So we can protect all of the kids and teens in our ministries from these people. I'll see you in the next episode. And remember to love the kids all the time, no matter what. I hope you enjoyed that episode. At the time of recording this, we have five reviews on Apple Podcasts and four on Spotify. I would love it if you could go and increase that number by one. It'd mean a lot to me and let me know that you are out there, you're listening, and you're enjoying the show. Thank you so much for listening.